welcome to the Mr. R Show, brought to you by the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. If you're an accounting firm owner or manager seeking harmony between work and life while optimizing profitability, you're in the right place. Our goal, to empower you with the knowledge and tools necessary to enhance both your personal and financial well-being. In every episode, we bring you insights from esteemed individuals in the field who share their valuable expertise and practical steps. Join us on this journey as we collaborate to revolutionize your business and enrich your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the second episode here on the Mr. R Show. I am John Trapolsky from the team over here at the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. You're always going to hear me and Chris Picuro, our founder, on these shows. Usually it's going to be us with a guest. Sometimes it'll be by ourselves. But today, we have a fantastic guest, as you will hear me say all the time. But I mean it about this gentleman. Really, I mean it about every one of them. They're all great, or we wouldn't have them on here. We're bringing on Andrew Poulos. So Andrew runs a successful practice down in the Atlanta, Georgia area. He's probably the best guy in our quote-unquote Rolodex, if you will, as it relates to diving in to very, very specific relationship management tactics, if we should say, with the IRS. So again, topic for today, best practices for IRS representation. Andrew's going to join us here in a moment. Chris has known him for a very long time. They've worked together on numerous projects. You'll hear some of those stories here shortly as well. We have a great conversation coming up. But really, I'm going to sit back on this one, can take a little bit of a backseat, let these two gentlemen really talk through their experiences. You are guaranteed to get some fantastic little knowledge nuggets from this one. So grab the notepad, grab the pen, grab a glass of water or coffee, sit back and enjoy the show. Hey, Andrew, welcome back, my friend. I know we have spoken before on the Teaching Taxable podcast. We did a great episode. I believe we've referred to the IRS as Darth Vader. So if you haven't heard that podcast, jump over to Teaching Tax Flow. You'll find it there. But this one's a little bit different because we're going to talk about it as far as for managing that relationship representation with the IRS. And me and Chris had spoke, obviously, previously a lot before recording this one with the monthly monthly recurring revenue institute i can't even get it. mrr baby it's almost like irs is too simple so mm-hmm. mmri gets more complex and we couldn't think of anybody better than yourself to talk about this with because obviously the irs is not going to come on with us and tell us all their secrets all the ways that we could you know win in the battlefield quote unquote so before we do that though people know who you are but tell us a little bit about yourself really how you got into this how you became you know, we'll call it, uh, you know, screw it. We'll just call you the megastar. The megastar and representing Master Jedi. That, there you go. We can use all the thing. Darth Vader. It's awful because I don't know anything about Star Wars or Star Trek. Believe me, Star Wars. But anyways, enough said. Andrew, how'd you get into this, my man? How, how did you get into this field? How did you build up your expertise in it? Uh, fellas, good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a lot of, you know, when you get into representing uh, clients for tax resolution matters, man, it's... Uh, you know, training and uh, hands-on experience, right? I mean, um, you've got to take on cases to to learn how to work them, and no two cases are the same, really, in essence, because you're never going to probably have, uh, for the most part, the same revenue officer or revenue agent, you know, depending it's an exam or a collection case. And so, you know, you've got to dip your toes, so to speak, into the uh, into the playing field and, and kind of learn it. But there's a lot of training out there through associations uh, where they – offer uh, tax resolution. So yeah, going on 28 years, 
uh, certainly, uh, I, I wouldn't, yeah, I'd say go out on a limb and, and call like you guys being the, uh, the master expert, but you know, you, uh, trial and error, you, you work on it and you try to do the best you can with helping, uh, the clients that you're representing. In, so Andrew and I met on the Intuit Tax Council many moons ago. We hit it off well. We always enjoyed yeah. uh, Oh, Martin. So it seems like ages ago. It hasn't been that long. <laughs> it hasn't been that long. I don't know. You're right. Um, but we just clicked. And can you tell us about, you know, obviously we're talking to tax professionals. Tell us about your private practice. I know you work with clients all over the country um, based in Atlanta area. Big Braves fan uh, as well, which is very easy to be. Uh, at the time of this recording, at least, unlike my tigers, that's all right. We won't go on that tangent. But yeah, can you tell us about your, you know, your private practice a little bit and um, yeah, how you got got started? It's kind of like a lot of other uh, tax pros. I mean, uh, I do a little bit of everything from uh, tax prep on individuals, corporates, partnerships, and whatnot, consulting services. Um, you know, but a lot of what I focus on is tax resolution. Inevitably, uh, you know, what's going on with the IRS coming out of the pandemic, uh, notices are, you know, just kind of coming out of like floodgates. So, you know, taxpayers just need help. So it really depends. But overall, just dealing with predominantly what we do is deal with a lot of small business clients. Um, not to say we don't deal with individuals on a 1040 side, but, you know, small business clients pretty much is, is a lot of what we do, um, both, you know, planning. Uh, tax prep and, and of course post-tax prep with, with issues uh, that come around. And as far as for working with the IRS, so obviously our audience is, is kind of split, right? We have some individuals that are newer into the tax pro space, some of the ones that have been around for a very long time. So everybody may approach it a little bit differently. Um, I'm going out on a whim here a little bit because I am not a tax pro by any stretch of the imagination. So as far as for like we spoke about, you know, in pretty pretty good detail on the previous podcast we did as part of teaching tax flow. When these notices show up, obviously sometimes people freak out, right? They or worse, if you haven't listened to that podcast, you'll hear us talk about this about a fifteen hundred times is not doing anything with it. So as far as for from the tax professional side, I mean, what's something they might be able to do as far as for we'll call it calming a client down or or really alluding to the fact of you know maybe that. Maybe the preparer didn't do anything wrong. They just happened to get a notice that, you know, obviously needs to be resolved somehow. And that's maybe the case where you come in. So maybe walk us through a couple of those scenarios with some tips in there, possibly. Yeah. Look, as a preparer, you're either dealing with a notice that a client's going to get for a return you're prepared, or you might be picking up a client who has self-prepared and gone elsewhere that somehow found you, got referred to you for uh, tax resolution, right? And we say tax resolution because it can be a notice uh, of something very minor. It can be an audit, could be a collection case, you know, where someone also returns as a balance due afterwards and they need some assistance. Um, so it's it could be a variety of things, but like you got to be the calm voice, um, so to speak, in a situation uh, whether you're prepared to return and there's a notice that's come in. Uh, and I think that happens to all of us if you stick around in this profession long enough, right? Um, you know, you can't prepare returns for, you know, a, a, in your entire career, not expect that someone's not going to get a notice. Um, and it could be, you know, your fault. It may not be your fault, right? It could be, uh, as Chris will probably tell you, where a client forgets to give you something and you prepare the return based on information given. And then the client gets a letter. And of course, then, you know, you try to defuse sort of the situation from it becoming a blame game. Um, you know, you just got to be the big person and professional, try to figure out how to assist and resolve the matter. If it's a return you prepare, if it's a return prepared by someone else, 
um, you got to figure out, you know, essentially, um, you know, who, you know, what work was done, what the issue is, uh, how to call in the taxpayer. Uh, most people start freaking out, of course, uh, mm-hmm. particularly if it's an audit. Uh, and I think moving into the future, we'll probably start seeing more of those, uh, probably a lot, a lot more correspondence exams. Uh, but there are going to be some field exams. Uh, everything, you know, with the ERC credits going on, a lot of, you know, scams of frauds uh, from mills out there. Uh, so there's going to be a little bit of everything out there. But at the end of the day, it's just no different than a person who's not well goes to the doctor. Um, you got to be that calling voice pretty much and reassure them that everything's going to be fine. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, depending on the situation, you really can't promise things. I just don't know how the situation turned out for the most part. Uh, but you got to keep the, the client calm in order to be able to be effective and get them to do their part, whatever their part might be, uh, you know, in that situation, whether it's gathering documents, um, you know, having made, uh, yeah, just some sense and logic for them not fear the situation, right? And, and go from there to try to resolve it uh, in the best of possible. So for our tax professionals listening, Guess what? Your clients aren't the only ones that forget to give you information, and your clients aren't the only ones that uh, assume that you did something wrong or that the sky is falling if they get a letter from the IRS. It happens all the time, and obviously, as tax pros, we could touch on this a little later uh, on. Is we need to do our best efforts to avoid the notice before it exists. Um, but kind of talking about field exams versus correspondence exams. Um, can you touch on kind of the hierarchy of seriousness all the way down from a from a CP two thousand? Um, maybe or actually probably the, the the best notices, Andrew. You probably chuckle at are the hey, we've got your stuff. We need sixty extra days to look at it. That we're just giving you an update um, until sixty days that comes by, and then you get another one that says, hey, we've got your stuff. We need sixty extra days to look at it. Um, uh, but and as funny as it sounds, the first thing you should do when you get a notice, I, this and then, and then I call Andrew, is open it up and read it. Right? How many times? Uh, it's like they're afraid to open it up. But um, if they do get something in the mail, um, can you talk about the seriousness level? From like I said, from the less serious to very serious. One more thing, uh, and we want people, the tax practitioners to be aware of too to help their clients is. How does IRS typically communicate with people? Because they don't, you know, we we hear there's a lot of scammers out there calling people, uh, showing up into, at doors and, and and that sort of stuff. So how does IRS typically communicate with people? And then what, what does that look like usually with the level of uh, seriousness? Yeah, I, listen, you're going to see a little bit of everything you, you stick again in this profession long enough as a tax pro, right? I've got, I've had clients call up, you know, business owners freaking out. Uh, being told that the sheriff's on the way to arrest them if they don't send X amount of dollars in, you know, within the next, you know, 24 hours. You'll see all kinds of, you know, scams, nonsense in a sense. So you got to be prepared. And always you got to be, the, you know, the voice of reason and, and call them pretty much to call them taxpayer down and reassure them that that person's not the sheriff. It's not, you know, uh, the FBI going after them, so to speak, right? The IRS doesn't make outbound calls unless it's a revenue officer or revenue agent, but they still have to make contact via letter. Uh, and usually if there's a power of attorney on file and a tax professional is representing a case or a matter, then uh, they're going to communicate or should communicate with uh, the tax professional power of attorney versus reaching out to the taxpayer directly unless they just really have tried and attempted and, and the tax professional's not responsive in a sense. Uh, but overall, look, every letter, every correspondence, we'll call it from the IRS, is important. Uh, worst thing that someone can do 
uh, any you know taxpayer, any of your clients can do is, is really get letters and not and just kind of put their bury their head in the sand and be like, well, you know, this will go away, or if I don't look at it and I don't know, then I don't have to worry about it. Uh, most of these notices, depending on what they are, are time sensitive in a sense, right? They'll give you 30 days to respond, agree or disagree. If it's just a proposed change, um, if, from there, if it's an examination, certainly you've got to open it up and know what's going on. And if it's an exam, then you got to figure out how are you going to approach it, right? Go out and to the person you who did the uh, the uh, the tax return, or maybe you hire someone if that person is not experienced or doesn't deal with examinations uh, post filing. Uh, so there's going to be a little, a little bit of everything uh, out there. But you know, it, it in a sense to me, for me personally, it's just a little bit easier if the exam is uh, you know with a revenue agent, field exam or in office, in person, we'll call it right. You have communication, you have a direct line of contact versus a correspondence exams where they send you a letter and they ask for you know, just the, everything under the sun, and then you got to mail it in and wait to see if someone reviewed it, and then you're not going to get a response potentially, and then they're going to send back and tell you, hey, we never got your information, while you're sitting out there waiting and you send it off, right? So it just, in a sense, to take experience and skill on figuring out, you know, most of the challenges is knowing how to navigate the system, um, and, and besides just knowing the, the laws and being able to apply them. Uh, that's where you know, our clients can't do it on their own. Um, you know, most of our clients wouldn't even know how to write, you know, a nice professional letter uh, to articulate what we want to articulate to the government in a sense. Uh, so there's a little bit of everything. There's a lot of challenges out there. But overall, the most important thing is you got to read the notice, open it up, read the notice, and take action. Um, contact someone, you know, that can assist you uh, and do it in a type of manner before that time runs out. And will the IRS email people? No. Right, I know. I, I'm just, you know, not, with a lot of scams you know, out there, and that's that's the thing I, I see. And, and these, you know, right now a lot of these scams are misleading information is with these ERCs going on still, right? Um, because you still have time to be able to retroactively go back and file, you know, for ERC credits until next year. And so there's just so many scams, and you know, weekly calls. I think we all do. So, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I think I qualified with this. Oh, well, my buddy did this. Or my boom, my buddy went to this company, uh, you know, and they got him, you know, 200,000 bucks. Um, look, you know, with, and I bring this up because time and point we're at now, um, you know, there's the word on the street is that if anyone filing for a URC, the letter the IRS is subsequently after they issue the credits, we're sending out a, what we call a soft notice, right? Um, kind of preparing for an audit. So they're going to come around and send you a letter and, you know, like, hey, can you tell us how you came to the conclusion that you, uh, what facts did you use to determine that that your business qualifies for the or the ERC? And depending on what you tell them or you don't tell them and, and how you handle that could, you know, lead to an examination. Um, so that thing moving forward, we're going to see a lot of, you know, in the coming years, um, a lot of exams on ERC and the IRS is going to have, uh, you know, or long enough into the future to be able to to audit them, but that's not to say that we're not going to see exams. Or I, I had one uh, of our own returns that uh, we prepared that I prepared, um, you know, uh, a year and a half ago, and it was on a C corp, right? And what we discovered was that um, in dealing with the revenue agent, and she was very responsive. Uh, that there were she had quite a few C corp exams and, and had a deal with uh, with retained earnings, uh, accumulated earnings tax, something that the IRS hasn't touched. Uh, for uh, for the uh, AA tax in a very long time, so you you learn you know how to navigate the system and deal with the revenue agents. You back them up, uh, and you work with them. You're professional. A lot of times you'll 
figure out a few things from them that could help, you know, on other cases or other clients. Um, so that's kind of my approach. There's everyone's got their own approach. I've seen a lot of stuff in my 28 years again that we all have to, you know, learn how to navigate the process and then what works best for us as to how we, we work with the IRS is we have to work with them. Uh, they, we can call them Darth Vader, we can do whatever. But at the end of the day, all jokes aside, I mean, you know, it's the other side and we've got to reach across the aisle and be able to work and Andrew, you mentioned, you know, a couple couple examples there kind of circling them all together. So as far as for, you know, the various types of scams that are out there, obviously those are likely going to get more, we'll make the assumption more intrusive, more professional sounding as time goes on. Obviously technology is, you know, plays a huge part of that. But then also you mentioned with the ERC credit. So it's almost the, the expectation is that if I heard it right, the likelihood of an audit goes up significantly, or at least an, an examination to some point if you have filed for that. So maybe something from a not going into practice management for the most part for our audience, but maybe a suggestion would that be is trying to actually get across the information like you just said to all of their clients, right? Now, may that be something on a website, something in an email that, you know, normal correspondence with their clients and kind of letting them know that, hey, this is still going on. This is what we're seeing more of. So almost alleviating the, oh crap, I just paid 50 grand, you know, in, in Bitcoin to Steve, um, who said he was down the street from me, they were going to arrest me and then coming to the tax pro saying, Hey, that this just happened. So almost building up, you know, obviously their credibility and, but in a sense, really strengthening that relationship with their client, right? You, is that something you'd recommend as well? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you know, the, the one thing we can say, and we all should, should know if we don't, is that with technology, the scams and the crooks are just going to get more sophisticated. You know, it's just a matter of time, right? You got AI out there. Um, you can do all kinds of, you know, uh, just scams and, and all sorts of stuff, right? And be very efficient. You got Chad GPT now is coming into our profession and, and and everyone's lives. So you have to expect the unexpected. And we're going to be challenged because we're going to start having clients in the future. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but we're going to start you know, having clients in the future where they're going to start calling us. And saying, "Hey, I saw this, or I got that," and it's going to be something new for us as well. We perhaps have not seen that scam or heard of that scam, right? Uh, so you have to be aware. Uh, you have to be mindful as a professional and advise your clients. Um, I always try to err on the side of caution, sort of speak to where if I'm unsure, I tell them not to do something until I sort of can do a little digging and figure out, man, is this legit or is this a scam? Something I've never heard of, right? Uh, but yeah, with ERCs, and I still mention that because that's the modern day, you know hook and line and sink or sort of speak these people these small business owners are looking still looking for money a lot of them need it um others do not but you know when it's money on the table uh, they're not being informed by even companies out there that may be legitimate you know i've seen misadvertising like you know you qualify for this and your business qualifies for twenty-seven thousand or whatever the number is right per employee mm-hmm. and a lot of these people still think for example that you know this money is still free money um just like pdp was and it's not and there's the sticker shock afterwards, right? There's the after effect. You have to amend returns. You can owe some taxes. If it's past the entity, which most of these small businesses are, can affect their personal. There's a lot of amendments and filings and fees. So, you know, I always tell my clients, listen, this is, you know, a situation. You got to make an informed decision. Even if you do qualify, uh, you still should expect potentially, you know, that you may get an exam afterwards. 
right? So is it worth, you know, depending on what you your business qualifies for, is it worth, you know, the whole process and the exams and the additional fees and representation and the stress you're going to endure because most 99% of the people are going to endure stress being under exam and, and having, you know, their life dug up in a sense, right? So you'd have to be upfront and, and with clients, whether it's ERC or anything else. And I always try to advise uh, the, you know, the pros and cons, the risks, um, you know, uh, versus, you know, the benefit. Um, but, you know, I, I, we're, it's all evolving and times changing. Um, I think in the future, you know, in speaking of scams, we're going to see the IRS getting much more sophisticated to where they're not going to need potentially as much manpower because AI is going to come into the equation. They're going to be able to do exactly what we're doing, just like we're going to use ChatGPT to solve a, you know, a, a capital gains C, you know, equation for us, a transaction. Uh, the IRS can be able to use artificial intelligence to track people and figure out who's not underreporting, who's not reporting, you know, the whole nine yards out there. So we have to be mindful uh, moving forward pretty much of how the landscape and the plan and if you're yeah, if you're implementing a, we are big advocates of of partnering with specialty tax firms and implementing some uh, advanced tax strategies like cost segregation studies or ERTC or R and D credits. That said, when when those calculations are 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 put together, you have to just assume you're getting audited. Don't think two years later you're going to remember how that was calculated and some of these fly by night. Uh, you know, ERC, ERTC now, LLC, uh, we think you have four employees, so we're going to mail you a fake check in the mail for your, for your you know, nine or 27,000 employee. Um, and, and it's too bad because, you know, the, the thing is most of the people that are listening to this podcast, it's like preaching to the choir, are the, are the good practitioners. Um, and unfortunately, the, the, the taxpayers that, that get taken advantage of typically don't go to the good practitioners, but, um, but that's, you know, that's a good point. Preparing, you know, obviously you don't, no one likes to get audited, but, but it's, it's a numbers game. And, um, you know, if, if you do get a letter in the, in the mail, um, you know, what you don't do is you're a taxpayer is invite the IRS to your house for some milk and cookies. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, I actually have the last seven years of all my documents available and put it on a table and then answer any questions that they have. Um, you know, Find the proper representation. It's it's if if you're a tax pro, uh, if you're a tax pro that you do representation work, great. If you don't, find someone like Andrew to partner with, uh, and and make sure they have the taxpayer has the right re- representation because it's just if you don't know, it's not that we're trying to be dishonest, but what what I see out there, and Andrew, I'd love to get your opinion or, or your advice to people is first of all, give the IRS what they're looking for. But you don't need to give them more because essentially, if you're getting reviewed for something, you want to limit the, the first step is on, it's kind of defense, right? You might, they, they've got runners, runners on base. You got to get the guy out. So how, do, how can a tax pro uh, work towards limiting the, the scope of the examination for the current year and limit it to only one year and not any other open years? And what if there are tax returns? that are on extension and then you're in the middle of the audit. Do you have a recommendation if those should be prepared or held off on? Great question, Chris. And, and you know, it's what works in one scenario and in one case is not going to work worse than the other, right? Even if we're the same ones representing. I say all the time, it, it really depends a lot of the outcome, you know, good, bad, or indifferent um, with tax resolution cases. Sometimes depends, you know, um, on us and on our abilities and experience. 
and how to navigate the process. And a lot of times it also depends on the other side, who your revenue officer, revenue agent is. It's just, you know, and to some extent that you stick in this profession long enough and tax resolution um, in your area, in your district, so to speak, right? You get to know people, these agents, revenue officers, and you deal with them over and over. And, you know, if you have developed that rapport, you know, sort of that relationship in a sense working relationship, um, you know, sometimes it becomes, life becomes a whole lot easier, you know, for you and your, and your client. Um, and, you know, and then you'd learn who, which agents and which revenue officers are easy to work with, which ones you don't really like that much, right? And you, and you did have a good experience last time. Uh, but overall, um, you know, I've had some great success and, you know, partly because I just knew that revenue agent from a previous audit or that revenue officer. And they either like me or they trust me, you know, they see me as credible. And so uh, a lot of times that helps from, you know, steering the ship from left to right, so to speak, right? But, you know, in a sense, we sort of partly have some control in a, like, let's just take an exam. In the exam, when you get that IDR, that information document request, you or your client, it's going to be asking for everything under the sun. You know, probably a nice, hefty two pages, and you're stretching your head and thinking, man, like, you know, the taxpayer is stressed out. They're asking for everything under the sun. Now that that's how we got started with this C corp exam that I had uh, recently, um, and so I told the agent point blank I didn't know her, I've never worked with her, um, but you know she was from industry uh, and had started with the service um, just more recently, we shall say. Uh, but overall, I was like, listen, I said, you know, this is in a sense, you know, just intrusive. Do you really need all this information? And then can we fine tune it? And she's like, yeah, I had a lot of problems. Short with business and this, I said, you know, um, we're on extension for this. I think this was a 21 return. It got pulled like literally within 10 months of when we filed it. And we were on extension for, or 20, I should say, sorry, 20 at the time. And we were on extension 21. This, you know, are you going to pull this 21 in yet? Because we haven't filed it yet. Uh, and it was right at the extension deadline. And she said, look, she goes, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. Depending on what I find or I don't find, so to determine basically if this becomes a multi-year exam or it doesn't, you know, I'm like, all right, sweet. So, you know, um, we sat down, had a heart to heart, went through the initial interview, just myself and, and the agent, and I started to sort of feel her out and figure out where this might go, where it may not go to sense, right? Um, and we started to discuss some issues. And yeah, man, we caught a break, right? She was really easy to work with in a sense. A lot of what I was concerned about that I had prepped the client of potential issues, you know, not that the return had anything materially wrong, but potential issues, right? When you got to, people have to understand, tax firms have to understand that, you know, even a small um, deduction, if the if a revenue agent wants to make an adjustment just so they can have something on, on the books and on their exam sheets, um, you know, on their orders report that they made adjustments. That's their job is to make adjustments, generate money. It's not to collect the money. That goes off, you know, gets assessed and goes off to the to a revenue officer to collections at that point. Uh, but overall, um, getting back to it without getting into long drawn conversations that, you know, it actually went better than we expected. And at first she told me we needed to file the 21 return before we got it to the exam. Guess what? We didn't have to file at the end of the day. We didn't have to file a 21 return until the exam was pretty much done. So it's just really about navigating it. You know, maybe we'll call it a lucky break. Maybe it was just, you know, the way that we approached it. Uh, maybe is that we had a good agent, um, you know, but overall, um, you know, there was potentially some issues there. And she just pretty much told me that were non-issues for her. She was basically, her attitude was like, listen, if I don't find what I'm looking for in my main, uh, on my main topics, then I'm not expanding. We didn't, we minimized it and steered the ship. So we minimized it to a one-year exam. Got done probably, I'd say, in about less than 90 days, which is almost unheard of these days, right? So 
you can actually get good results. You can not have exams where there've been no changes. People often think like, okay, I'm the, you know, I'm just going to get railroaded by the department here. I'm under exam. That's not often the case. You know, the, most of the times you can make adjustments. And if you've done, you know, something wrong, underreporting of income or something, you know, over-reporting expenses, yeah, they're probably going to cash if they're skilled in the revenue region. But overall, man, you know, it's not, not everything is the end of the world sort of, you know, doomsday just because someone, you know, is under exam uh, with, with the IRS. Well, I have a, no, thank you for that. And, and that brings up a question I have as far as a revenue agent. Two, two part question. Um, let's assume, you know, your, your, your tax practice is national um, and you're working with a client from, oh, I don't know, let's say uh, California because we got a loop that now you, you, you might want to know. Let's say they live in, let's say they live in Texas and obviously you're based in Atlanta um, and you prepare the returns. Let's say you prepare the returns, they get examined. Um, they, you get contacted by a, a field office in Texas. Can you move that exam to Atlanta? And, and can do you also have any rights to request a change of revenue agent? Now, we do understand that's the equivalent of sending your food back to the kitchen. And, and you know, at sometimes that could get, get bad when you get your food back. But can you just kind of touch on touch on that for us? Yeah, you would in that situation probably would request a change of venue. Now you have to have a reason as to why you want to change the venue, meaning from the Texas office to the Atlanta office, right? And your main reason is going to be because all the books and records are at the tax professional's office, not in the tax paper. Uh, and usually, most of the time, the IRS will grant that unless there's just some reason or something going on behind the scenes that they're not going to divulge to. Um, so you, you know, you want to try your best, of course, uh, to have a change of venue for a couple of reasons. One, you want to minimize your taxpayers your clients, you know, uh, representation fees, right? Because if you have to fly out there or drive out there or whatever and, and be out there for a couple of days, uh, that's going to drive up the, the client's cost. And number two, potentially, again, if you are in the uh, field of doing tax resolution, tax representation, um, and you've got a rapport or working relationship with, with, you know, agents in your local district, your local office, you just might get lucky and you might be working with someone you've worked with before, which is then effectively that makes that exam a whole lot potential, a whole lot easier, a whole lot more efficient. Um, and, and, you know, the, the processes to minimize our, you know, collateral damage, right? Uh, minimize our taxpayers' um, adjustments or tax bills, so to speak, you know, in an audit and try to get that closed out as, as quickly as possible. Uh, the less time, you know, that the audit stays open, uh, probably, uh, you know, the less risk in a sense for the taxpayer. Can you take a, then, thank you for that. Can you take us through us? Let's assume you, you have an exam. Um, you, you, and, and you and I know that, uh, and you do way more work than I do in this, but I've had a couple situations where, and I'm sure the, the listeners have the, the revenue agent is, is not that experienced. That doesn't have a lot of authority. They basically slap a big tax bill on you and you, and you requ- at that point, you're going to request, um, an, a, a manager, would it be a managerial managerial review or an appeal? Um, can you take us just through a little bit of the appeal process? If you disagree with 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 anything in the in their findings, and then um, and then if you disagree with that, what how you can? I mean, obviously it's more expense, more time to take it up the food chain of appeals. But um, let's assume that you have a very strong case and you feel like it, which is that the, the agent might not understand the law and, and the rules as much as you do. And you really want to talk to someone with more experience. Yeah, listen, there's a variety of things here to kind of, you know, just uh, dissect your question, Chris, and your, and your, and your, and your comments. Um, 
when you take on a case, whether it's your own return, prepared return, a lot of tax pros don't like to represent their own for you know uh, conflict of interest, ethical issues or whatnot. Um, I, I, I've been blessed, I guess, in a sense, right? My 28 years, I probably have had two of my own returns pulled of all types. So statistically speaking, I run a pretty low ratio. I've represented way more that have come to me for, for exam from somewhere else. And I try to keep it like that. Um, but overall, you have to do a risk assessment and, and figure out, you know, based on the IDR, where the government potential, where this case is going to head to. Um, you know, what what are the issues? A lot of times you'll ask a revenue agent up front. I will certainly. I'll ask him point blank. I'll put him on the spot. I'll, you know, and I'll just ask him um, why, you know, is the taxpayer being audited? And some of them will tell you point blank, this is the reason, these are the issues we're looking at, we're going to be looking at, and others will kind of just sort of, you know, uh, be a little bit evasive, and, and those are the ones you want to be concerned about. You just don't know what the government's looking for, what they're going to target in a sense. Um, but overall, you know, listen, man, we're in the day of technology, social media, you can try to figure out who uh, the opposition is in a sense, right? Who the agent is, the, their expertise, their level of experience, how long they've been in either in the field, in the profession, how long they've been working to the government, um, you know, training, not, you know, this is probably not going to sound good, but in a sense, right, the training that the that IRS personnel are getting these days is far different and, and probably not as good as it used to be. You deal with a lot of those experienced revenue agents, revenue officers who have been around for 20, 30 years, 35, that are still getting ready to retire here in the next couple of years. Man, they're very skilled. They've gotten great training. A lot of times they're much, even though they may know, in a, you know, you may worry that they know more than you. A lot of times they are much easier to work with than someone who's newer and is trying sort of to, you know, prove a point or create their path on their job and career. Uh, but overall, you got to figure out how to navigate it. You know, if you've got issues, if you've got issues, if you take on a case, uh, let's just say, and you sit down with your client and, you know, you got to figure out from A to Z, what are the key other words, right? Obviously, they're being audited. So there's a reason that they got audited. You know, systematic with the system probably pulled them for exam, and then you know it got reviewed, and that, and the, and and there's a risk assessment that the government does. It says, all right, probability, right? Probability for tax liability, and you know from there to end, you know that that person who reviews it, the reviewer, it says, yep, you know we've got a good probability of making some changes here and getting some tax dollars, so we'll put this under exam. Or no, you know it's low probability, so they move it along, even though it's just black, right? Those we just never see because they don't really get pulled for exam in a sense. Um, but once they, you got to figure out, you know, is, is there potential damage here? And if it is, how are you going to steer that ship and try to minimize that damage and that risk for the taxpayer? Um, and a lot of times it just may be from the very end's onset. I've had a case that I took on, you know, years ago, and I told the clients that, you know, this is not going to end well if the revenue agent starts to dig deep. Um, it was a small business owner, self-employed. Those are usually the ones with the biggest risk, of course, as we know. Um, and that it would be far better if we can just uh, get to appeals. Because I just know at appeals, you're going to get your break somewhere, right? It's just the way the system works. Because, when you, you know, Chris, you mentioned earlier about managerial, you know, review and whatnot. In my experience, and this is my experience, is that if you have an agreed upon issue, an unagreed upon issue with the agent, and you tell them, hey, you know, I'd like for your manager to, to review this. 99% of the time, they're going to come back and the manager's going to side and stick with his or her revenue agent, right? They're going to, they're going to, and they're going to stick with that and they're going to force you to play your car. And so, you know, there's a lot of what goes on in exams is negotiation a lot of times. People, you know, don't believe this, right? Tax pros, we have never really dealt with this a lot, you know, think it's just all black and white. 
And, and a lot of times it's like, hey, listen, you cut me some slack on this deduction or on this issue, you know, we'll concede to this, right? And so you try to basically word your way through it. But if it's a case where you cannot agree to things and it's you're materially off and you feel it's not in the best interest of your client, you know, you have a discussion with your client. And yeah, while it may cost more in representation and fees, it just may be the best result that you can get for them is to say, you know what, close this case out. Um, we'll close this case out as unagreed upon. Uh, give us our, you know, our uh, our uh, notice, our your auditor's report, and basically, and we'll follow with an appeals case. And a lot of times, you'll see, um, you know, it just depends, right? They, uh, you might get a call from a mentor say, "Hey, how can we work this out?" Because they don't want you to go to appeals. Uh, or a lot of times, the revenue agent will say, "Okay, you're fine. You know, you know, he or she feel they've done their job. They've got a nice, common agreed upon case with a bunch of adjustments." And then you go to appeal. So we went to, we had a case, it was a multi-year case uh, years ago, and a small business owner, as I said, you know, we came, we basically strategy was to come out as unagreed upon because we thought our chances were better with appeals. Um, and uh, the case was, I think we came out of uh, two year, uh, and it was unagreed upon, well over $600,000 in liability. It will make anyone not sleep. Uh, but I was very confident that that's not where we would end up at, at the end of the day. We went to appeals, we prepared a, great package. We shipped it off, got lucky. We got, I got an appeals officer who I've worked with before. Yeah, and I had a good working relationship and uh, we were on a first name basis, so to speak. And we got there um, and he, we sit down and he's like, Andrew, he goes, you know, I appreciate you putting this package together. He goes, this is the government, the auditor's package. He goes, I couldn't be able to make sense of anything. It was so sloppy and messy, right? It was a newer agent. Um, we came out of uh, appeals, Chris. You know, we went in over, well over $600,000 had came out of appeals with, uh, I think, around $128,000. And that was actually very fair considering, you know, the taxpayer, mm -hmm. the issues that we potentially have, right? Um, so, you know, I had already prepped the taxpayer. It wasn't a return I prepared. They had come to me, uh, basically, found it for representation. Uh, and and that was fine. They were, you know, they were happy with those results, you know. Effectively, you know, can't be a small business owner and do things you're not supposed to do. Because if the, if the law mm -hmm. catch, it was just not going to end well. Um, but the, you know, it was such a, the case was impressive in a sense that because of the relationship that the working relationship I had, the rapport I had with the appeals officer, um, that when we put such a good case together, a very clean, straightforward, conceded the things at appeals, right? This was a substantiation case. Did they have, you know, um, no receipts for, for everything? The revenue wanted a receipt for every single thing. Now, can you imagine being a small business owner, a two-year exam, and a revenue agent is wanting a receipt for every single thing from 15 bucks to, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. It's just almost impossible. No small business owners. Mm -hmm. And so I just knew when we got to appeals, if we showed that we had done enough to work with the revenue agent, we would get to appeals. And guess what? Appeals has had the chance. It was always the risk. You know, I warned the client that if we don't show we've worked enough with the revenue agent, appeals could remand it back down to exam, back to the agent, say, hey, y'all haven't worked enough on this. You go back there and work with the agency if you can come to a, a resolution. Um, and indeed, you know, we didn't have that happen. But when I told her to close it out, agreed upon after I felt we had done enough to try to work with the other side, manager calls me up and she's like, Mr. Poulos, you know, um, is there anything we can do? I said, no. I said, well, there's nothing we can do. I said, you're not conceding to anything on mileage logs. You're not conceding to anything mm -hmm. this. I said, clearly, there's nothing for us. I'm not going to concede or agree upon one issue when we can't, we have, you know, just the other issues, right? Um, and we've got two appeals and we pretty much went from, having to substantiate every single thing to having to substantiate 10 checks for two years. So yeah, I agree. I, well, for the practitioners out there, um, 
I think one thing that, that confuses people, and we know the IRS is backlogged, we're going to talk before we wrap up about the, your feelings on the direction of the IRS with the additional funding they're getting. Um, I agree on, on their investment in technology. Their, their systems are very antiquated. Andrew and I both had the opportunity a few years back with the council to, to meet with one of the directors of the IRS in Washington, D.C., and and it was really eye-opening. You know, they're, uh, I almost empathized with, with how they're trying to operate uh, in the, the Flintstone. You know, it's like Fred Flintstone days. But um, that appeals process, when it, when it goes to that informal hearing, um, so basically the fact pattern for the practitioners is you have a client, they get audited, you don't agree with the, with the revenue agent, uh, you can't resolve it with the manager either, and it goes to that next level. Um, that could take quite a while. So, you know, just to just so the tax professionals understand how to guide their clients on what, what could be a, a reasonable time frame to go from that to actually sitting down with somebody. Look, going from the time you close out as a non-agreed upon case to you have a time limit to file your appeals, right? Filing appeals and getting assigned. Um, there's appeals officers in every district, um, every unit where there's appeals officers who are strictly work on appeals cases that get assigned to them coming out of exam, exam appeals versus collections appeals, right? Two different things. Um, depending on, you know, which city, which territory, which district, in a sense, um, you know, there's really no telling. The the one we took to appeals uh, years ago, and it was way before COVID hit, of course, now it's gotten even worse backlogs. Uh, but that effectively took, I think, a good roughly nine to 10 months to get assigned. And then from there, um, you know, we got on the calendar, we had to reschedule and, and whatnot. We had two meetings, uh, in a sense, with those officer, uh, but we were able to get through the process at that point once our, we uh, got in with the first meeting uh, from start to finish. I think it took probably about, you know, six or seven weeks, right? It was a pretty fast process. Appeals is not, it's not like exam. They're not there to drag it out, man. They want to be done with this and move along. Um, their goal is... Uh, you know, hazards of litigation. When you go to an appeals case, if you've never had before, the first word that's going to come out of the appeals officer's uh, uh, mouth is, you know, um, you know, here are your taxpayers' rights. Um, you know, I can, we can read them out to you if you're not aware of them, yada, yada, yada. And of course, in hazards of litigation always comes out. That means that it's basically governments doing collateral damage, mm -hmm. minimizing their risk, right? They don't want a taxpayer uh, to go through the whole process and end up in tax court. What they know uh, that we should know as well is that most of the cases, if you don't agree at appeals with some, you know, with the appeals officer, the taxpayer, you know, if you file a timely case for appeals, you have tax uh, tax court petition rights. And so very few cases actually go in front of a judge in tax court. Most of them, if you have to file a tax court petition, are probably going to be dealing uh, with the, um, the taxpayers going to be dealing with the uh, uh, with uh, the attorneys, you know, for the government, for the IRS. Mm -hmm. And they'll of a case out of court. Um, and so therefore, uh, appeals typically, their job is to try to come to a resolution that's, um, you know, impartial and fair for both the government and, and the taxpayer in a sense. They want to basically minimize the risk and collateral damage and, and just be done with it. So, you know, if you ever have doubts or you have a difficult revenue agent on an exam case, I'm never scared. I tell my clients, you know, if someone comes to me for representation, I tell them, listen, this is your risk based on my assessment of what this return has or doesn't have. Um, and this is where we're at. If you know, this is going to be your good resolution, your mediocre resolution, mid road, and this is going to be the very worst case. 
and you know you have appeals rights, right? So we don't get what we want. You tell me what your level of satisfaction would be, what you're comfortable with, and if we don't can't reach that, then I'm going to advise you potentially, and you can make the final decision about going to appeals, and we could get a better deal on appeals. I mean, I had uh, a case that of a client that came to me that from a practitioner. Um, who had prepared the case, they had done the exam, and then he was sold his practice and went to work um, in, in the corporate world. And so the client got referred over, spot as a client today, and it was a real estate. I mean, you, you, you like this one, Chris? It was a real estate uh, professional, right? And, and, and so they had agreed on a lot of things with the agent, but the agent was effectively disallowing all his mileage and all of his meals. And the agent said, well, you don't have a mileage log, and you know, and you can't prove all these meals on your travel, right? The three things that you have to obviously be able to substantiate the most. And the taxpayer basically it was just a principle thing, it was not the money. It was just a principle. And he said, you know what? I've driven these files, I went to the issue, you know, uh, trip, I did this traveling for business. Uh, just because I didn't get a deal done doesn't mean that it's not legit expense. And they closed out the cases as unagreed upon on those if for those issues. Um, the CPA was pretty much sole practice. Client gets referred over to me, and he told me what's going on. He's like, "Listen, he goes, I'll pay the money that they want. It was around four grand, right? It wasn't a lot of money. Um, right. Listen, I'll pay you because your fee. He goes, I don't, I don't care if your fee is more than the, the one I owe the car. It's just a matter of principle. I mean, there's a lot of taxpayers like that when they know that they're in the right. Um, then we filed the appeals case. Um, didn't charge the client a lot, man. It was just there was not much meat on the bones there. I, but it was a principle of it, and you know, I, I understand. I'm a man of principle. When you're right, you're right. Uh, we filed the appeals case, and it was the appeals officer that I worked with before. And I thought I told him from the get-go. I said, "Listen, man. I said the taxpayer has the money." I said, "You know, you're a veteran appeals officer. Um, you know how real estate is. You can go and he does commercial real estate, right? Land and elk. He could be out sightseeing and doing, you know, sightseeing for for clients and and and, and working out a deal that takes three years to develop before he ever gets paid on a deal, right? And so with land development, and I explained them all nine verse. Our appeals officer knew very well. He's like, "You're absolutely right." So it's just a matter of principles. I'm going to tell you what. I said, if we can, if you're reasonable with us, I said, my client will agree. If not, I said, he's prepared to pay any amount of money to take it all the way to tax just to prove a point because these are legitimate deductions, even though he may not have uh, the mileage log and may not have all his receipts because it was on his old laptop, you know, that you no know, longer has, right? Mm-hmm. And the appeals officer basically, it was short and sweet, man. It was like literally, he says to me, Andrew, he goes, tell me what would make your client happy. He goes, and he goes, come back to me with a proposal. He's like, I'm not giving him 100% of, of all these expenses or the deductions without my response. We'll concede to something. And he's like, tell them what will make your taxpayer happy. He said, we'll come to a resolution because I'm not letting you go to tax court. He was all something like this. And I went back to my client. I said, listen, man, this is, we've got a cool appeals officer. So what do you want out of this? And so he told me what he wanted. I went a little bit higher, of course, because I already knew how the game was played. And the appeals officer, I told him we wanted, you know, 85 to 90%. He's like, listen, how about we agree to 70%? I said, you got a tough deal. We never even make face to face. No, that's, that's, I know it, it, it's interesting. And we're definitely having you back on this podcast in the future to dive into some other kind of interesting things. Um, I do, but in our last segment, I do want to ask you this question because we talked a lot about, I mean, we, there's a lot we need to talk about in another episode, episodes, but we've talked a lot about determining the, the liability. Um, let's talk real briefly about paying that because a lot of times the taxpayer might not have the cash available. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of times they, they might think they're eligible for an offer and compromise, not to dive into that too much, but can you touch on, you know, the difference in, in if you owe 25,000 or 50,000 is a kind of a magic number or uh, over $50,000, what uh, in, in, 
you know, what, what your advice is best. Yeah. So here's, here's how I approach it is, you know, if we can come to a deal with the government, let's just say at appeals and the taxpayer doesn't have the money, right? But it's a good deal for them, meaning that, hey, we've minimized your risk, right? So, you know, you if you have prepared this return correctly, let's just say you're a small business owner, you have prepared this return correctly, you would owe $100,000, I think. Uh, and we've got a deal we've cut with the government here at appeals um, to minimize everyone's risk in time, and you're walking away with a $40,000 tab. You're still saving money, right? You had So you look at it and you say, okay, you have prepared this return correctly, you would have paid all this money anyway. Mm-hmm. You get more better deal, so if you agree to it, the taxpayer is going to say, you know what, but, you know, Chris, I don't have this money to pay. All we want to do is close out the case to where it's done and they're not going to continue digging and prying and it gets worse and worse. Once we close it out, then they're going to make the assessment, the tax assessment. Uh, they'll send you a letter with the balance due your official assessment, and it becomes a collection case. Then we have to figure out our strategy as to how to navigate the process from there. So there's a... Coming out of a, an examination can lead as a tax professional to tax representation or UN fees that you can generate in several steps, right? You got exam, I don't know whether you conclude it there or not, or you go to appeals. Um, you know, now there's also mediation available. Um, and then potentially from there, uh, a collection case if the taxpayer does, has an adjustment and doesn't have all the money. Uh, depending on the amount due, whether it's you know ten grand, three grand, a hundred thousand, two hundred, whatever the amount is, will determine you know how you proceed from there and whether the taxpayer may or may not qualify for an OIC, which we can discuss you know in a future episode. Right? Everyone thinks that the government will just cut them a deal post uh, you know exam or post appeals case closing, and this that's not the case. You know, if you owe the government thirty thousand bucks and you've got man half a million bucks in liquid assets. You're not getting anywhere on a noise. Right. Government's not going to feel sorry for you, right? <laughs> you know, so then that's just the uh the reality of things. So what where how we navigate and where we go after um we close out the appeals case really is dependent on, you know, the financial situation for the taxpayer, their ability to pay or not pay, um, you know, assets that they may or may not have, just a lot of things that it would be difficult for us in this case to sit here and you know podcast and and, and and come out right. fast. In, is for for a I'll, I'll end with this question. Then we're gonna definitely get your contact information out there to the listeners. As far as an installment agreement, um, you might have mentioned this: the, an automated installment agreement, where you basically can go on the IRS website and apply for it um, without underwriting. We'll say. <laughs> um, what is that balance total? Is it fifty or twenty five thousand? I think it's 50 these days. They've changed, and they've changed a couple things. And, and the reason I say they've changed a couple things is I've got a uh, client that referred over that I'm working with um, who has a big balance. Uh, it's not an exam, they just have a balance they couldn't pay. Yeah. And they're looking to, to pay it and they'll be able to pay it. Um, and, you know, before you could call, prior to COVID, you could call up um, uh, PPS, practitioner priority line, services line, uh, or collection for that matter, if it's in collections, and uh, request, you know, uh, a, a hold, an extension of time to pay, right? Um, without having to provide any information or whatnot. And that's also a lot of times the strategy of the taxpayer says, hey, you know, Andrew, I can pay this off in 90, 120 days or 180. Um, you know, we might, the strategy may be like, okay, let's request a hold. And then by the time that hold runs out, you know, you could try to request another hold or write it out a little bit. You know, a lot of times these strategies work. Long story short is uh, they've gone from where you can request a 90-day hold to request a 180-day extension of time to pay now, right? So, it's um, it used to be where at 50,000, I had heard 
um, at fifty thousand that they were collections or revenue officer would uh, require that would require um, you know a four thirty three a collection financial information statement. Uh, I heard somewhere in the grapevine I've had this recently, but that they've upped it to hundred grand now. Things are constantly changing. Um, so you know even those of us who delve you know and dive into tax resolution, we always have to be you know up to speed because government's always changing things. Um, especially since COVID, since that landscape, you know, changed, everything has changed. Uh, and in a sense, a lot of times that, you know, since then, a lot of times that helps us be able to get some mercy on our clients. So, right. Isn't mm-hmm. like, hey, well, some slack here. Right. And, and so, um, there's just so much that's, that's been changed, but you know, again, you gotta, what works on one case is not going to work for the other, but overall, you know, it's a multi-step process from start to finish from an exam to getting that closed out with payment if there's a balance to that coming out of appeals or out of it. So, yeah. And I want to know, and then John's going to wrap us up here, but tax professionals, if you have a client that gets a notice and you just don't know what to do, or it's getting escalated on a collections case, reach out to Andrew. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, she, we, he's my, I, I can't even put it into words. Yes. He, he will, he is such a great resource, practical, uh, gr- a lot of great experience, and and if you and if you're sitting here or listening or jogging and you've uh, walking and and you tried to call the practitioner line and you've gotten on hold for a long time and hung up on and you're getting no response from the IRS, that's when it's time to say, look, this isn't in my wheelhouse. I'm going to bring in a specialist, and and the specialist is going to help me out, and, and not only a specialist but an active member of our of our tax professional community. And then Andrew, too. So, what's before we do wrap up 100%, what's the best uh, form of communication? So, what, what do you prefer if somebody did have a question for you, um, you know, in regards to tax resolution? How could they contact you? Yeah, I mean, look, they can reach out on a phone, they can shoot me an email. Um, you know, they can shoot an email out uh, through an inquiry on, on our website at pulosaccounting.com. It's P O U L O S accounting, A C C O U. And ting.com. Um, I'll be glad to, to help, right? Even whether it's just kind of just a, a second opinion on that someone's looking for, you know, follow tax roads looking for. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean I have to get engaged in anything. A lot of times we just bounce ideas off each other. Uh, Chris and I do that all the time. You know, he's had a couple of, of cases, uh, you know, correspondence exam one time. It wasn't that we were sitting in Atlanta when we were filming for my show uh, before the pandemic. We're sitting up, uh, you know, having a burger and some beer. And he's like, I got a problem. I said, What kind of problem do you have? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, let's work it out. You're not telling exactly what my strategy would be. That doesn't, you know, I wasn't telling that. Your strategy, but in a sense, right? You know, it's just bouncing ideas off each other. We all have diverse backgrounds and experiences. Man, a lot of times, you know, um, it's just for me, I'm a big believer in having relationships and friendships and profession and bouncing ideas off each other. Look, you know, there's there's guys that are, you know, pros that are in tax resolution way more experienced than me because they've been doing it for 50 years, you know? So, and a lot of times, you know, it's just like, okay, I try to reach out or, uh, I, I, I too attend these, you know, uh, seminars to learn more, you know, heck man, you got to educate yourself and keep up to speed, right? Whether it's, you know, uh, reaching out to a friend or colleague, bounce an idea or strategy for a case, uh, or getting an education. I mean, I can tell you very quickly, I know you guys want to wrap up, but, uh, years ago, I was at taking a three-day conference on specifically tax resolution. And the one thing that I, you know, that we were taught, not the one thing, but bad, many things, one thing we were taught, I actually had a uh, collection case that that client Kenny was representing that we ended up basically having a bad situation with the revenue officer, kicked it out of, uh, out of uh, collections and 
filed an OIC, and uh, OIC pretty much the offer of specialist AMSA and specialist review in the case try to include business assets when it was a personal uh, a personal tax debt. And, you know, it was that one thing that we had learned in class, that seminar that stuck out of me. I was like, wait a minute, you know, you know, it's like LG said in the seminar that you're not allowed to do that. So I went and pulled the law, okay? Mm-hmm. I wrote a, pulled the law, I found, you know, cited the code. I sent a nice fax over to the appeals, uh, the office specialist. I said, hey man, you know, you're basically doing something that's not kosher, that's not allowed, inappropriate. Never got an apology, never said no, mm-hmm. I was wrong, right, like that. But you know what happened? In a situation like that, they the we came to a resolution on an OIC. It was a hundred eighty nine thousand dollars tax debt. We resolved it for twenty one thousand wow. Um, But they, because of what they were doing, that they were pretty much not allowed to do. Really, using the authority, the office specialist, uh, they were trying to get almost forty five, forty eight thousand bucks out of my client. It was double the money. So that that what I'm saying is that education, those several thousand bucks I spent for those three days, more than paid for itself, right? Because you yeah. learn that without knowledge. You know, none of us can progress and be able to help taxpayers out there. And, you know, then you got the government that will pretty much a lot of times try to run all over taxpayers. So, and we, so, we'll I, put all, oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, Andrew. No, I was just going to say for something, just we all, you know, just keep yourself educated, reach out. You know, it's, there's no shame in, in, in partnering and you know, working with, uh, with, with other tax pros and, and your colleagues and your friends out there. I mean, look, you know, like you said, we met at the tax council at Intuit Tax Council. You know, birth on a great friendship, and we bounce stuff off each other all the time. You know, it's like, hey, man, I've dealt with this. Yes, I have. Uh, can you tell me what code section I need to go to check? Chris saves me, you know, three hours of research, but he tells me what code section to go pull, and vice versa. It's just not just just the way we work. And it's, uh, yeah, yes, we're going to put Andrew's contact information in the show notes. Trust me, having him on the show is an honor. He has been on every major television, national television network. You're going to be very impressed with, uh, with with him and uh thanks again and having me on as always yeah so thank and, you and andrew i love these conversations between you guys because i sit here and my brain is just working because i'm more or less on the taxpayer side so hearing you guys conversate back and forth is so so interesting to me because i it's funny it's not like i'm a mediator but i'm like wait a minute if you're if you're an advocate on this side you're you're more mostly prepared it's like how how is everything playing out but my biggest takeaways from something like this again more or less from the from a taxpayer side of things is that it really comes down to that you know not just expertise but really the relationship management side of things where you know somebody may receive a notice goes into freak out mode you never want to go into that situation guns a blazing right like you you mentioned strategy and planning a ton over the you know past almost hour that we've talked here and it really boils down to that, right? So, and everything plays together. So your experience really builds into your strategy and your planning and especially how things are continually changing. Everything's ever evolving. That's going to change. So really it's not to say everybody should calm down, but just having those resources and alignment and the resources for further education, like you had mentioned as well, is really the, is really what the monthly re- recurring revenue Institute is based off. So it's something mostly practice management, but then also just building your pool of those resources um, and having them at your disposal. So as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, anybody who's listening to this again, we'll have Andrew's contact in some show notes. Andrew, you'd mentioned as well, your your email or your website where anybody can contact you. So we urge everybody to do so with any of those questions and open the darn letters. Let's let's leave it with that. Like put, put that on your sign, Open open the darn letters. 
Hey everybody, thanks for hanging in with us on this episode as we really dove into those best practices for IRS representation. So Andrew, thank you as always for joining us, my friend. Always a pleasure talking with you. Always a pleasure having you on the show. I know listening to you and Chris go back and forth, my head starts to spin a little bit just because you guys have been doing this for quite a long time. Not to age you at all, it's experienced, not old at all. So I'm not far behind you guys. Although I do have more hair than both of you put together. Let that go on, on record here between those two guys. They're better looking, but I have more hair. So all joking aside, Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this one. If you got those great notes that you wrote down here, get ready to implement those. That is the whole point of this podcast is to just educate fellow members of the accounting and tax profession. So if you have any questions, as always, as well, feel free to reach out to the monthly recurring Revenue Institute team. A great way is on social media. LinkedIn, we are very active on. Um, We're always watching that. So look us up on there. We have a great YouTube channel with some little snippet videos that Chris Pacuro has put together for us. Um, Quick little hits on the info. So we'll keep pumping those out as well for you guys. That's free content as well. Um, If you do have any questions and you want to email us, the best email is hello at mmrinstitute.com. I'll go ahead and edit that one out. It's hello at mmrinstitute.com rrinstitute.com. Shoot us an email. Any of those questions you have, we'll be happy to respond back promptly with any answers or suggestions that we may have on our side. So until next time, everybody, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for helping us with this content. A lot of these ideas that we put forth on this show come from Chris's experience in the private practice world, as well as teaching tax flow. If you haven't had a chance to check out teaching tax flow, Um, It's a great place. Uh, We have a great community built into that on Facebook, DefeatingTaxes.com. Again, totally free. You can join that group. A lot of questions float around. So that one is a lot more on the tax payer side, but there's a lot of great topics on that as well. So until next time, everybody, thank you again for joining us, and we will see you very soon. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.